chapter ten of asphodel this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox dot org asphodel by mary elizabeth braddon chapter ten and spending silver had he right enow at ten o'clock daphne was down at the boat-house again ready for the aquatic excursion looking as fresh and bright as if nothing had ever occurred to vex her she wore a workman-like attire of indigo serge no gay fluttering scarlet ribbons this time her whole costume was studiously plain from the sailor hat to the stout cromwell shoe and dark blue stocking the washed leather glove and leathern belt with a broad steel buckle madeline's flowing muslin skirts and flowery hat contrasted charmingly with her sister's more masculine attire this looks like business said gerald as bink ran the boat into the water and held her while the lady stepped on board now daphne whichever of us gets tired first must forfeit a dozen pairs of gloves i think it will be you from the look of you returned daphne as she rolled up her sleeves and took hold of an oar in an off-hand waterman-like manner when you are tired i'll take the skulls well you see i am likely to be in very bad form it is four years since i rode in the varsity race what you rode in the great race what affectation to talk about being in bad form i should think a man could never forget training of that kind he can never forget the theory but he may feel the want of practice however i fancy i shall survive till we get to goring lane and that you'll win no gloves to-day i suppose you never wear anything less than twelve buttons madeline gives me plenty of gloves thank you replied daphne with dignity my glove-box is not supported by voluntary contributions daphne do you know that for a young woman who is speedily to become my sister you are barely civil said gerald i beg your pardon i am practising a sisterly manner i never met with a brother and sister yet who were particularly civil to each other they were rowing quietly up the stream lowering their heads now and then to clear the drooping tresses of a willow the verdant banks the perpetual willows were beautiful but with a monotonous beauty it was the ripe middle of the year when all things are of one rich green meadows and woods and hills and in a country chiefly pastoral there must needs be a touch of sameness in the landscape here and there a spire showed above the trees or a grey stone mansion stood boldly out upon the green hillside daphne had so arranged cushions and wraps upon the principal seat as to conceal the mutilated name gerald rode stroke she sat in the bows and madeline reclined luxuriously in the stern with a maltese terrier fluff in her lap if we are lucky we shall be at the abbey an hour and a half before your aunt and her ponies said gerald it was extremely obliging of her to volunteer the inestimable boon of her advice but i fancy we should get on quite as well without her it would have been unkind to let her think we didn't want her said madeline deprecatingly that is so like you lena you will go through life putting up with people you don't care about rather than wound their feelings said gerald carelessly aunt rhoda is my father's only sister i am bound to respect her i've no doubt the old man of the sea was a very estimable person in the abstract said gerald but sinbad shunted him at the first opportunity don't look so distressed dearest aunt rhoda shall patronize us 
and dictate to us all our lives if it please you by the by what has become of your devoted slave and ally turchill i expected to find him on the premises when i arrived at south hill he went up to london last week with his mother to make a round of the theatres and picture galleries they will be home in a few days i dare say i wonder he can exist out of warwickshire he is so thoroughly bucolic so permeated by the flavour of his native soil he is very kind and good and true-hearted protested daphne flushing indignantly and he is your old friend and kinsman i wonder you can speak so contemptuously of him mr goring what my vixenish little pope daphne cried gerald colouring at this slip of the tongue is it thus the cat jumps i would not underrate edgar for worlds he is out and away the best fellow i know but however much you may admire him little one that his mind is essentially bucolic is a fact and facts are stubborn things you have no right to say that i admire him i respect and esteem him and i am not ashamed to own as much though you may think it a reason for laughing at me retorted daphne still angry he taught me to row this very boat he used to get up every morning at a ridiculously early hour in order to be at south hill in time to give me a lesson before breakfast a man might do twice as much for your beaux yeux and yet deem it no self-sacrifice don't cried daphne didn't i tell you ages ago that i detest you when you flatter me madeline looked up with momentary wonder at that expression ages ago but daphne was so given to wild exaggerations and a schoolgirl latitude of phrase that ages ago might naturally mean yesterday daphne dearest what has put you out of temper she asked gently i'm afraid you're getting tired if she give in before we get to goring lane i shall claim a dozen pairs of gloves i am not the least little bit tired i could row you to naseby if you like replied daphne haughtily whereupon the lovers began to talk of their own affairs somewhat lazily as suited the summer morning and the quiet landscape where a light haze that yet lingered over the fields seemed the cool and misty forecast of a blazing afternoon going lane was an accommodation road leading down from the home farm to the meadows on the river bank and here they found a light open carriage and a pair of strong country-made grey horses waiting for them gerald had sent his valet over before breakfast to make all arrangements for their reception the man was waiting beside the carriage and to daphne's horse she beheld in him the grave gentleman in grey who had helped to convey provisions for the fontainebleau picnic but not a muscle of the valet's face betrayed the fact that he had ever seen this young lady before at the end of the lane they came into a shady park-like avenue and then to a grey stone gateway pillared mediaeval grandiose on the summit of each granite pillar a griffin of the most correct heraldic make grasped a shield and on the shield were quarterings that hinted at a palmer's pilgrimage in the holy land and a ragged staff that suggested kindred with the historic race of dudley the lodge-keeper's wife and her three children were standing by the open gate ready to duck profusely in significance of delight in their lord's return the male bird as usual was absent from the nest nobody ever saw a man at an entrance lodge the avenue of lines was of but thirty years growth but there was plenty of good old timber on the broad expanse of meadowland which mr goring had converted into a park there was a broad blue lake in the distance created by the late mr goring an island in the middle of it also of his creation 
while a fleet of rare and costly foreign aquatic birds of mr goring's importation were sailing calmly on the calm water and yonder in the green valley with a wooded amphitheatre behind it stood the abbey built strictly after the fashion of the fifteenth century but every block of stone and every lattice obviously of yesterday it wouldn't be half a bad place if it would only mellow down to a sober greyness instead of being so uncomfortably white and dazzling said gerald as they drew near the house it is positively lovely answered madeline she was looking at the gardens which thirty years of care and outlay had made about as perfect as gardens of the italian style can be they were not such old english gardens as lord bacon wrote about there was nothing wild no intricate shrubberies no scope for the imagination as there was at south hill all was planned and filled in with a dutch neatness the parterres were laid out in blocks and in the centre of each rose a fountain from a polished marble basin statues by sculptors of note were placed here and there against a background of tall orange trees arbutus or yew everything was on a large scale which suited this palatial italian manner such a garden might have fitly framed the palace of a medici or a borgia nay in such a garden might horace have walked by the side of Messinus, or virgil recited a portion of his aeneid to augustus and octavia there was a dignity a splendour in these parterres which daphne thought finer than anything she had seen even at versailles whither madame tolmache had escorted her english pupils on a certain summer holiday the rose garden will please you better than this formal pleasance i dare say said gerald it is on the other side of the house and consists wholly of grass walks and rose trees my dear mother gave her whole mind to the cultivation and improvement of her gardens i believe she was rather extravagant in this one matter at least i have heard my father say so but i think the result justified her outlay and yet you want to build more hot-houses on my account gerald surely arrangements that satisfied lady geraldine will be good enough for me said madeline oh one ought to go on improving besides you are fonder of exotics than my mother was and the rage for church decoration is getting stronger every day you will have plenty of use for your hot-houses and now we will go and take a sketchy survey of the house before we interview the worthy mccloskey has miss lawford's gardener arrived gerald asked of the gentleman in grey who had occupied the box-seat and was again in attendance at the carriage-door while a portly butler and a powdered footman both of the true english pattern waited in the gothic porch yes sir mr mccloskey is in the housekeeper's room i hope they have given him luncheon no sir thank you sir he would take nothing but a glass of claret and a cigar he has taken a stroll round the garden sir so as to be prepared to give an opinion the house was deliciously cool almost as if ice had been laid on in the pipes which were used in winter for hot water the hall was as profoundly gothic as that at penshurst it was difficult to believe that the reek of a log-fire piled in the middle of the stone floor had never gone up through yonder rafters that the rude vassals of a feudal lord had never squatted by the blaze or slept on yonder ponderous oaken settles nothing was wanting that should have been there to tell of an ancient ancestry armour that had been battered and dented at cressy or bannockburn or at any rate most skilfully manipulated at birmingham adorned the walls banners drooped from the rafters heads of noble stags that had been shot in arden's primeval wood spears and battle-axes that had been used in the crusades and collected in warder street gave variety to the artistic decoration of the walls while tapestry of undoubted antiquity hung before the doorways 
these things had given pleasure to mr giles going but to his son they were absolutely obnoxious yet the father had been so good a father and had done such honest and useful work in the world before he began to amass this trumpery that the son had not the heart to dislodge anything they went through room after room all richly furnished all strictly mediaeval old oak carving collected in the low countries cabinets that reached from floor to ceiling sideboards large enough to barricade a parisian boulevard all the legends of holy writ exemplified by the patient fleming's chisel polished oaken floors panelled walls the only modern rooms were those at one end of the abbey which had been refurnished by lady geraldine during her widowhood and here there was all the lightness and grace of modern upholstery of the highest order satinwood furniture and pale tinted draperies choice water-colours and choicer porcelain on the walls books in every available nook how lovely cried daphne who had not been impressed by the modern mediaevalism of the other rooms this is where i should like to live lady geraldine's morning-room looked into the rose-garden she had not been able to do away with the mullioned windows but a little glass door an anachronism but vastly convenient had been squeezed into a corner to give her easy access to her favourite garden madeline looked at everything with tender regard lady geraldine had been fond of her and kind to her and had most heartily approved her son's choice tears dimmed lena's sight as she looked at the familiar room which seemed so empty without the gracious figure of its mistress i fancied you would like to occupy these rooms by and by lena said gerald i should like it of all things and can you suggest any alterations any improvements gerald do you think that i would change a thing that your mother cared for the rooms are lovely in themselves but were they ever so old-fashioned or shabby i should like them best as your mother left them lena you are simply perfect exclaimed gerald tenderly you are just the one faultless woman i have ever met chaucer's grizel was not a diviner creature i hope you are not going to try my sister as that horrid man in the story tried grizel cried daphne bristling with indignation i only wish i had lived in those days and had the reversion of count walter as a widower i'd have made him repent his brutality i no doubt you would have proved skilful in the art of husband government said gerald but you needn't be alarmed much as i admire grizel i shan't try to emulate her husband i could not leave my wife in agony and walk away smiling at the cleverness of my practical joke well lena then it is settled that in these rooms there is to be no alteration he added turning to madeline who had been taking up the volumes on a little ebony bookstand and looking at their titles please make no alteration anywhere let the house be as your father and mother arranged it my sweet conservative and we are to keep all the old servants i conclude they are all of my father's and mother's choosing pray keep them all if you could any way find room for mccloskey without offending your head gardener mccloskey shall be superintendent of your own special hot-houses my darling it will be an easy remunerative place good wages and plenty of perquisites a grinding of wheels on the gravel and a tremendous peal of the bell at the principal entrance proclaimed the advent of a visitor aunt rhoda no doubt said gerald let us be sober they went back to the hall to greet the new arrival it was mrs ferreres's youthful groom a smart young gentleman of the tiger species who had made that tremendous peal mrs ferreres's roan ponies were scratching up the gravel but mrs ferrers was not alone a gentleman had just dismounted from a fine upstanding bay and that gentleman was edgar turchill 
so glad to see you here aunt rhoda cried gerald why turchill they told me you were in london came home last night rode over to southville this morning overtook mrs ferrers on the way and i asked him to come on with me and to join in our round of inspection said aunt rhoda i hope i did not do very wrong you did very right i don't think turchill feels himself much of a stranger at the abbey even though it has been a very inhospitable place for the last year or so and now before we go in for any more business let's proceed to luncheon your boat has had a most invigorating effect on my appetite daphne i'm simply famished so you came in daphne's boat she rows pretty well doesn't she asked edgar with a glance of mingled pride and tenderness at his pupil she might win a cup to-morrow you have reason to be proud of her they all went into the refectory where under the lofty open timber roof a small oval table looked like an island in a sea of turkey carpet and polished oak flooring it would have served you right if we had had the long dinner-table gerald said to daphne as he passed her with mrs ferrers on his arm i thought we were going to picnic in the park said madeline daphne neither you nor daphne seem to care about it replied gerald this is a great deal more sensible remarked mrs ferrers oh i don't know it's awfully jolly to eat one's luncheon under the trees in such weather as this said edgar for mr churchill's particular gratification we will have afternoon tea in the cloisters said gerald blake to the butler let there be tea at half-past four on the grass in the cloisters daphne could eat or drink very little though edgar who sat next to her was pressing in his offers of lobster mayonnaise and cold chicken cutlets sole a la maitre d'hotel perigord pie she was looking about her at the portraits on the walls facing her hung prescott knight's picture of the man who began his career by wheeling barrows and who ended it by building mighty viaducts levelling hills filling valleys and making the crooked paths straight it was a brave honest english face plain rugged even the painter having in no wise flattered his sitter but a countenance that was pleasanter to the eye than many a handsome face a countenance that promised truth and honour manliness and warm feelings in its possessor daphne looked from the portrait on the wall to the present master of the abbey no there was not one point of resemblance between gerald goring and his father then she looked at another portrait hanging in the place of honour above the wide gothic mantelpiece lady geraldine by buckner the picture of an elegant high-bred woman of between thirty and forty dressed in amber satin and black lace one bare arm lifted to pluck a rose from a lattice the other hand resting on a marble balustrade across which an indian shawl had been flung carelessly face and figure were both perfect after their kind figure tall and willowy a swan's neck a proud and pensive countenance with eyes of the same doubtful colour as gerald's the same dreamy look in them then daphne turned her gaze to the other end of the room where hung the famous sir peter lely a replica of the well-known picture in hampton court for which replica mr giles goring had paid a preposterous price to a poor and proud member of his wife's family who was lucky enough to possess it strange that a single-minded honest-hearted man like john giles goring should have been proud of his son's descent from a king's mistress and should have hung the portrait of felicia countess of heronville above the desk at which he read family prayers to his assembled household yes lady heronville's eyes were like gerald's dreamily beautiful everybody at the table had plenty to say except daphne she was absorbed by her contemplation of the pictures edgar was concerned at her want of appetite he tried to entertain her by telling her of the plays and pictures he had seen 
your father ought to take you to town before the season is over there is so much to see he said and though i am told that all the west end tradespeople are complaining it seems to me that london was never so full as this year hyde park in the morning and afternoon is something wonderful i should like to go to the opera said daphne rather listlessly madame tolmache took us to hear faust one evening she said that an occasional visit to the opera was the highest form of cultivation for the youthful mind i believe she had a box given her by the music-master and that she turned it to her own advantage that way charging it in her bills don't you know i shall never forget that evening it was at the end of august and paris was wrapped in a white mist and the air had a breathless suffocating feeling and the streets smelt of overripe peaches but when we got out of the jolting fly that took us from the station to the theatre and went to a box that seemed in the clouds we had to go up so many stairs to reach it and the music began and the curtain went up it was like being in a new world i felt as if i were holding my breath all the time even martha did that stupid good-natured girl i told you about seemed spellbound and sat with her mouth open gasping like a fish nielsen was marguerite and flora was mephistopheles i shall remember them to the end of my life you'll hear them again often i hope nielsen was singing the other night when i took my mother to hear wagner's great opera the music is quite the rage i believe but i don't like it as well as don giovanni luncheon was over by this time a formal ceremonious luncheon such as daphne detested it was her punishment for having been uncivil last night when the picnic idea was mooted and now they all repaired to the gardens and perambulated the parterre and criticised the statues leda with her swan venus with an infant cupid hebe offering her cup ganymede on his eagle all the most familiar personages in l'empereur the fountains were sending up their rainbow spray in the blazing afternoon sun the geraniums and calceolarias and pansies and petunias and all the tribe of begonias and house leeks newly bedded out seemed to quiver in the fierce bright light for pity's sake let us get out of this burning flowery furnace cried gerald let's go to the rose garden it's on the shady side of the house and within reach of my mother's favourite tulip trees the rose garden was a blessed refuge after that exposed parterre facing due south here there was velvet turf on which to walk and here were trellis screens and arches wreathed with the yellow clusters of the saline forestier and the devanciences mrs ferris was a person who always discoursed of flowers by their botanical or fashionable names she did not call a rose a rose but went into raptures over a marguerite de saint armand a garnet wolseley a gloire de vitry or an etienne levé as the case might be here smoking his cigar which he politely suppressed at their approach they discovered mr mccloskey the hard-faced sandy-haired scottish gardener you have been taking a look at my grounds i hear mccloskey mr goring said pleasantly yes sir i've looked about me a bit i think i've seen pretty well everything and the hot-houses leave room for improvement i suppose well sir i'm not wishing to say anything disrespectful to your architect began mccloskey with that deliberation which gave all his speeches an air of superior wisdom but if he had tried his hardest to spend the maximum of money in attaining the minimum of space and accommodation to say nothing of his ventilation and his heating apparatus which are just abominable he couldn't have succeeded better than he has unconsciously dear me mr mccloskey that's a bad account and yet the gardeners here have managed to rub on very decently for a quarter of a century 
with no better accommodation than you have seen to-day ay sir that's where it is they just rubed on poor fellows and i can only say that it's very creditable to them to do as well as they have done and if they're about a quarter of a century behind the times nobody can blame them then we must build new houses that's inevitable i conclude yes sir if you want to grow exotics yet i used to see a good deal of stephanotis about the rooms in my father's time ay there's a fine plant growing in a bit of a glass shed says mr mccloskey with ineffable contempt necessity's the mother of invention mr goring your gardeners have done just wonders but with all deference to you sir that kind of thing wouldn't suit me and if miss lawford has any idea of my coming here by and by with a respectful glance at his mistress as he stood at ease contemplating the spotless lining of his top hat miss lawford would like you to continue in her service when she is mrs goring perhaps you will be good enough to give me an exact specification of the space you would require and the form of house you would suggest i wish miss lawford to be in no way a loser when she exchanges south hill for goring abbey thank you sir you are very good sir murmured the scotsman as if it were for his gratification the houses were to be built this is a very fine place sir it would be a pity if it were to be behind the times in any particular the head gardener bowed and withdrew every one even aunt rhoda breathing more freely when he had vanished isn't he too utterly horrid asked daphne if there is a being i detest in this world it is he were i in lena's place i should take advantage of my marriage to get rid of him but she will just go down to her grave domineered over by that man concluded daphne mimicking mccloskey's northern tongue he is not the most agreeable person in the world said lena but he is thoroughly conscientious did you ever know a disagreeable person who did not set up for being a paragon of honesty exclaimed daphne contemptuously they roamed about the rose garden which was a lovely place to loiter in upon a summer's day and lingered under the tulip trees where there were rustic chairs and a rustic table and every incentive to idleness beyond the tulip trees there was a shrubbery on the slope of the hill a shrubbery which sheltered the rose garden from bleak winds and made it a thoroughly secluded spot while the rest of the party sat talking under the big broad-leaved trees daphne shot off to explore the shrubbery the first thing that attracted her attention was a large wire cage among the laurels is that an aviary she asked no answered gerald rising and going over to her these are my father's antecedents he pulled away the laurel branches which had spread themselves in front of the cage and daphne saw that it contained only a shabby old barrow a pickaxe and shovel those were the stock in trade with which my father began his career he said i don't believe he had even the traditional half-crown i've no doubt if he had possessed such a coin his mates would have made him spend it on beer he began life a barefooted ignorant lad upon a railroad in the north of england and before his fortieth birthday he was one of the greatest contractors and one of the best informed men of his time but he never mastered the right use of the aspirate and he never could bring himself to wear gloves it was his fancy to keep those old tools of his and to take his visitors to look at them after they had gone the round of house and gardens i hope you are proud of him said daphne with a bright penetrating glance which seemed to pierce mr goring's soul i should hate you if i thought that even for one moment in your life you could feel ashamed of such a father then i'm afraid i must endure your hate said gerald no i've never felt ashamed of my father he was the dearest kindest most unselfish most indulgent father that ever spoiled an unworthy son but i have occasionally felt ashamed of that barrow 
when it has been exhibited and explained to a new acquaintance and i have seen that the new acquaintance thought the whole thing the mock mediaeval abbey and the barrow and my dear simple-hearted dad one stupendous joke i should be more ashamed of felicia countess of heronville than of that barrow if i were you exclaimed daphne flushed and indignant you little radical mistress felicia was by no means an exemplary person but she was one of the loveliest women at charles's court where lovely women congregated by common consent while all the ugly ones buried themselves at their husbands country seats and thought that some fiery comet must be swooping down upon the world because of wickedness in high places don't be too hard upon poor lady harrendale she died in the zenith of her charms while quite a young woman do you think she ought to be pitied for that demanded daphne why it was the brightest fate heaven could give her the just punishment for her evil ways would have been a long loveless old age and to see her beauty fade day by day and to know that the world she loved despised and forgot her whom the gods love die young was said of old and many deaths do they escape by this where did you find those lines little one in a book we used to read aloud at madame tolmache's gems from byron oh i see mere chippings diamond dust i was afraid you'd been at the koh-i-noor itself are we to have some tea gerald asked madeline crossing to them and looking at her watch as she came it is half-past four and we must be going home soon to the cloisters ladies and gentlemen to all that there is of the most mediaeval in the abbey they passed under a gothic archway and found themselves on a square green lawn in the midst of which was another fountain in a genuine old marble basin a roman relic dug up thirty years ago in the peninsula of portland a cloistered walk surrounded this grass plot a striped awning had been put up beside the fountain and under this the tea-table was spread now lena let us see if you can manage that ponderous tea-kettle said gerald it is the handsomest i ever saw sleepily remarked mrs ferrers who had found the afternoon somewhat dreary since nobody had seemed to want her advice about anything but i must confess that i prefer the rector's george the second silver and old swansea cups and saucers to the highest exemplars of modern art End of chapter ten